Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Later this hour, the Iowa Center for the Book will reveal the selections for All Iowa Reads 2023. But first, Lauren Haldeman is an artist and a poet. She is haunted by history and possibly ghosts. Her graphic novel, Team Photograph, blends her personal history with historical research, poetry, and illustration to create a profound and moving experience. The book explores soccer fields, battlefields, grief, and supernatural phenomena. Haldeman lives in Iowa City, and she'll be at Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City tonight at 7 p.m., and she is with me now. Hello, Lauren. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. And... I, I know that, that your work on this project has taken a long time over the last several years, but also from reading Team Photograph, I get the impression that this is actually work that began for you in elementary school. This is a story you started to try to share as a child? This is well, has been a lifetime project. Um, these were uh, things that I was seeing when I would wake up at night and try to describe in, you know, class writings and whatnot um, to try to figure out what was actually happening. Um, I would see people in my room. Um, I interacted with them. Uh, they were different people from different periods of time. And as a 10-year-old, I just figured everyone saw that. <laughs> You know, and so um, I've been working on this book actively for about two decades. Um, One of the poems in here is uh, I wrote, I finished and um, perfected sort of when I was around 18 or 19. And then I went back and found some of my old writing from elementary school. Wow. When... Did you have this conception that the project would take this shape? Because, I mean, it really is unlike any other book that I've ever read. It's it's unique. I don't think I ever had the conception of what shape it was going to take. Um, at some point, the book took over. I had an idea of what I was hoping to do with it. It started just as a collection of poetry, and then I picked one or two poems from that collection, scrapped the rest, and restarted the book several times. And then the graphic novel sections um, just came to me that I should probably add a little narrative in for people to understand uh, what I was actually working on with the poetry. And then that narrative took control again and led the book in another direction. So it's been a, a bit of a wild ride. Um, a, a lot of the turns and um, sections, I, I'm not sure I can even explain how I got there. So, Well, it's, it's definitely something to spend some time with. And I, as a reader, I thoroughly enjoyed that journey. And let's talk a little bit about the, the personal narrative, because this is this is a memoir in some ways, in multiple ways, <laughs> in multiple different ways. Yeah. Um, but take us back to where you begin in the book, which is on the soccer fields mm-hmm. of your childhood, which happened to be 
where the Battle of Bull Run was fought. Yeah, I played a lot of soccer as a kid. I played a, a lot of soccer um, in Virginia. And um, I was playing on a, a bunch of different fields. They would have these field complexes all over the place. And when I started sort of writing about my experience playing soccer, um, ghosts just started popping up in, in, on the tree line on the field while I was writing. And um, I went back to a map of where I had been playing, and I noticed that one of the parks that I played at the most, our, our home field, was at Bull Run Regional Park um, in northern Virginia, um, just, you know, 700, 800 yards from the actual Manassas National Battlefield where the, the two battles of Bull Run took place. And I thought, why were we playing soccer near these fields? And then I remembered that um, the refs would have us walk the field before we played to, to look for um, artifacts, to look for pieces of metal, buttons, anything like that, because there had been instances of of kids falling and cutting their knee on, on such remainders. Like a bullet casing. Exactly. And I, I never found one, but we had heard, and um, this was like a regular practice at that particular field. So when you were a child, did you understand what had happened in this area? Was that part of your education? I probably learned about the Battle of Bull Run in fifth or sixth grade, right around the same time that I was waking up to these hallucinations and people in my room. And I mean, I was a kid, so I understood the concept of it. Um, we we would go on a field tr- field trips there. We would go on field trips to different battlefields. Um, I think I was concerned with other things <laughs> in fifth and sixth grade, like you know which friends liked me and what the what folder you wanted to use exactly. Right. <laughs> so it wasn't until I went back as an adult and I toured the field again, and I was like, "This is intense." Yeah, um, and I noticed m- several things on the field. I went into the woods at one point um, and did some free riding and got some interesting stuff out of that. But just um, really, as an adult, trying to understand what had happened there uh, and rewrite sort of what I had learned as a child. Well, and. Every Civil War battle was so unbelievably brutal. Yes. And and that's one of the things that you write about in this book is the incredible injuries. And, of course, we, we know that medicine was not then what it is now. No. But Clara Barton was there mm-hmm. at the Battle of Bull Run helping people who were just injured in in such horrific ways and you write about all the amputations that that yeah. were taking place around in in these this area where you were spending time there were field hospitals that were set up um outside of these different battlefields and one field hospital was at Fairfax station which is uh right where I was I grew up um and when I read histories of that field hospital, it's true. They, you know, there were so many amputations that they didn't know what to do with the arms and the legs and threw them in the woods. 
you know. And so I don't know um, if I would say what I was seeing when I was a kid were actually ghosts. I don't. Part of the book is actually trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. What was it? But I will tell you that in Virginia, I saw people, soldiers, um, people in 18th century garb, and they would come into the room and interact. I do get um, hypnagogia hallucinations out here in Iowa, but never people. And that has always been strange to me. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? You know? The uh, Your brother actually found a human bone in the woods when you were a child. We weren't. It, we weren't sure what kind of bone it was. So we found, they found, while I was playing soccer, this was at Quantico. There's, there were fields near Quantico. Um, there was a bone um, that they found in a ravine um, in the, tr you know, outside of the soccer field because they would go off and play while I played soccer. Um, I think my dad took it to the police. <laughs> Uh, I can't remember what came of that. Um, it might have been nothing, but it was a large bone. Uh, wow. it, it was um, it was it was it was slightly haunting in its in its size. So all of these your experiences, but also this this history, these have been kind of lingering in your mind. For decades. Yes. <laughs> and you, as you said, you returned to to the site, but you also kind of dug deep into the historical record. What were you looking for? I was trying to figure out how to make the book be about something other than me. Um, the original poems that I were starting with were all about me and what I experienced on the, the field playing soccer. And I wanted to get out of myself. I, I won. I just didn't think I wanted to write an entire book about myself, you know. And, um, and so I, uh, I got the inspiration to just go to Bull Run and see what, what's going on there and, and look at the language. I love um, – such a dork. I love, like, going to museums and looking at, like, the signage and the language – that is set up inside the museum. I love the sort of uh, the way everything is phrased, um, like to your left, see, you know, and, and, and these sort of things. And that was uh, really inspiring for me. And then uh, I realized that there was a lot that um, I hadn't seen before. And there was a lot of, of, of narrative happening around this, this field that was a major part of my life. So, so you you went like you said you went to you went there on field trips, etc. Yes. As a child, and oh surprise, surprise, you didn't absorb absolutely <laughs> everything really. about the history, Lauren. Wow. Nope. <laughs> I can remember the bus a little bit. I have vague <laughs> memories of the maybe lunch. <laughs> so no, I mean I'm so I was so I'm so grateful that I grew up there and had so much you know like history right at the ready to learn about and I I did learn a lot about the battles that occurred around the area that we grew up in but um, no I didn't <laughs> I didn't uh, 
I didn't engage as much as I did as an adult. Right. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a short break. Okay. We'll be back in just a moment. I am talking with Lauren Haldeman. She is an artist and a poet. Her graphic novel, Team Photograph, blends her personal history with historical research, poetry, and illustration. She will be at Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City tonight at 7 p.m., and we will continue this conversation in a moment. This is Talk of Iowa. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Coming up in just about 15 minutes, we will find out what books the Iowa Center for the Book has selected for All Iowa Reads 2023. With me now is Lauren Haldeman. She is an artist and a poet. She has just published Team Photograph. It's a graphic novel, but it's unlike anything that you have ever sat down with before. It's a graphic novel that blends personal history with historical research and poetry. The illustrations are are fun, and we'll talk <laughs> about those in just a moment as well. But it really is an unusual and unique work. She'll be at Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City tonight at 7 p.m. And Lauren, maybe you could read for us just a little bit from the beginning of the book uh, to give people a feel for it. And there aren't a whole lot of words per page, at least not in the first part of the book. And we aren't going to probably describe all of the illustrations, but I still think it gives people a flavor. Great. Um, This is the first section of the graphic novel. As a child, I saw ghosts. I played soccer near the battlefields of Bull Run and woke at night to hallucinations. We lived in a town called Fairfax Station on the Virginia side of Washington, D.C. The town was named after the train depot at the center, which was built in 1851 on the Orange and Alexandria rail line. This station acted as a triage stop and medical evacuation site during the Civil War, where locomotives would deliver the critically wounded from the front lines of the battlefields 11 miles away, through forests thick and older than envy. It was near this station that a nurse named Clara Barton, the future founder of the American Red Cross, assisted in relief and evacuation efforts. Accounts tell of amputated legs and arms littering the surrounding woods. Two miles from this station, and 150 years later, deep in the pockets of these woods, My family's house was built, the room I slept in was walled, and the hallway through which the ghosts would begin to appear was carpeted with an eerie glow at night. And on the nights that they would visit, the wounded wraiths and faceless shapes, I would close my eyes and apologize. In the daylight at school, in my first attempts at writing poetry, 
I fumbled disjointedly in fits and fragments, trying to describe those eerie visitors in my house and on that field. Erasing and scratching, mashing sentences from my homework with phrases from my history books. For me, the beginning of poetry was an attempt to explain these visions. That's just the beginning of Team Photograph by Lauren Haldeman. And we were talking before the break about returning to this site as an adult and reading all of the signage and and doing the research and and really trying to understand what happened there. And there was a a place that you had never noticed before Mm -hmm. in your past, and um, it's the Robinson House. Mm -hmm. And tell tell me about this house and its significance. So um, about halfway around the a large sort of circle where you walk through the battlefield down past the woods and then coming back up towards the Henry House is um, just the stone foundation of a house. And there's um, signage there, but uh, it's easily missed. And it's about it's this uh, this house was the home of a freed slave named James Robinson and he lived there with his wife and his children um, before the war and during the war and uh, survived both battles of Bull Run there. Um, he was a freed slave, but his wife was enslaved still, and the law at that time meant that the children were as well. And so he spent most of his life um, trying to purchase the freedom um, of his children and was able to do so for many of them, but um, uh, two all. of them were sold, and one of them they um, were unable to find again. And when I read that, um, I just, I just felt punched in the gut. You know, I, I, one, it had never occurred to me that such a law would exist. Two, I was, you know, now now a mother, and just the idea of that was sickening to me. Um, and I thought, there's there's no way I can ignore this. Um, but it made me feel really uncomfortable. I didn't know how to discuss this subject. Um, I, I had the initial um, response of wanting to avoid it, uh, move far away from it. And, um, and I realized that that was... Um, that was something that would be more harmful than it than good. That that we need to go towards these things uh, with a type of courage and a type of bravery to see these things and understand them and understand our place in them. And and so I I went towards it, and it was hard. It was hard to go towards that and. To, to try to find how to amplify it without appropriating it. Um, but what I learned was so much more valuable than any of the, you know, uncomfortable feelings that it took to yeah. get there. So, and it gave me courage for further sections in the book as well. So I'm not sure I, if I did it right or wrong. Um, I'm sure there uh, many mistakes were made, but um, I I wanted to try my best. And one of the ways that you share this story, and and it's I think 
it's beautifully done is through erasure poetry. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a long story, but um, after this home was designated as a historic landmark, mm-hmm. after the sign was made, someone came along and burned it In to 19- the ground. Yep, about 150 years later. Uh, so it survived both battles, and then in 1991, it was burned to the ground. Um, none of the other structures were um, touched. And I found a Washington Post article about this arson, and um, it just it just struck me that uh, that we're constantly trying to erase things that aren't comfortable and that don't make us feel good. There's a whole national movement to erase yeah. things that yeah. are uncomfortable for and, us to learn. And to there are many people who don't want children to learn about things that make us uncomfortable in right. school. So you're discovering all of this at, at the time where this this national discussion is is getting amplified. Um in in telling this story through erasure poetry, though, that mm-hmm. does, I mean, that seems poetic on, on multiple levels because you're taking a news article that is mostly about the arson and burning mm-hmm. this building down and making it about the people who lived there mm-hmm. and and their lives and their legacy. Yeah. It, you know, I wanted to write about it. I didn't know how. And again... Um, I didn't want I didn't want myself to be very much a part of what I was creating from this history. Um, I didn't want to insert myself into it. I just wanted to explore it and amplify it. And so I've I I realized I need to just go directly to these sources: um, the Washington Post article, the writings at the at the site where the house was burnt down. Um, and then work directly from primary sources, um, and, and and one it opens it opens up a whole world to you when you do this that because you're not in charge anymore, you know, <laughs> like I like that it, when I'm creating is to to lose control a little bit, and uh, yep, the po- the erasure poems that came out of that um, article just shocked me every single time. They're really beautiful. And an erasure poem, you you took the article mm-hmm. and erased much of the language, leaving behind a poem that told a different story. And you, you published several mm-hmm. of, of these erasure poems on that subject. And this book, though, you talk about taking yourself out of this story. And yet, it, it's also your story. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of you and your personal experience that is included in the story. And Lauren, last time you were on the show, you had just published a collection of poetry that was all about your brother Mm -hmm. who was murdered Mm -hmm. and lost his life far too young. He's a big part of this, too. Mm -hmm. Was that almost a surprise to you that? His loss, your loss of your your brother, was also a part of this story. It was an absolute surprise. I mean, I was intending for this book to be about soccer and history. And um, after I did erasures from the Robinson House article, I was like, oh, 
that this gives me a little bit more courage to go towards some other stuff we, I had been researching with um, here at the University of Iowa, uh, Whitman's notebooks, um, Whitman's uh, poems during the war, and then also his field notebooks. And I just, there was something in there, there was something in the work that I, f- I just felt like I needed to to uncover. And I started doing erasure poems of Whitman as well, which felt illegal, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I to still take, don't know. To take the work yeah. of America's poet. <laughs> yeah. I still don't know if I'm going to get in trouble or not. I'm just waiting for them to come for me for doing Whitman erasures. But um, yep. And about the third or fourth uh, poem from Drum Taps, which were his war poems, uh, right at the end, I found, you know, my brother appeared. Yeah. And it was, uh, it it made me so happy and it was so shocking. And I just, you know, thank the work for, because when you lose someone, you're always, you always hope for a new surprising piece of their life to come back in. Maybe a picture that you hadn't seen before. Um, maybe a video that you hadn't seen, you know, because it's like being with them brand new again. Mm-hmm. And this was that same feeling, finding him there. Your characters in the, the graphic novel part of this book are all wolves, little wolves on, yeah. on the cover in their soccer uniforms. That is also something that that's a connection to yeah. your brother. And I... Uh, I followed all of your you created cartoons throughout the pandemic that you shared on social media and I followed them obsessively I think is is a good good description for that um and and all of your characters there are wolves yeah. as well what is the connection so Ryan loved wolves um he uh had posters of wolves t-shirts of wolves all when he was growing up and actually the night before he died I had talked to him on the phone and he had asked me to make him at the time I was making paper mache animal heads and uh which is another story and I um he asked me to make him a wolf a wolf head and then and then you know within 12 hours he was dead and when I drew him for the first time after that um a, a friend asked me to do a drawing and I I drew Ryan and I drew him with that wolf head on. And then I liked it. I liked the way that the character looked. I liked the way that it felt to draw it. And so the next time I drew um, something, it was, they had wolf heads. And then after that, wolf heads. And it just started to become this thing where that was everyone, everyone I was going to draw with wolf heads on. Is that part of almost making new memories with Ryan? It is. It's sharing the space with him for sure. Like um, it feels like a collaboration with him in a way. Um, honestly, too, it's a lot easier to draw a wolf head than a human head. So it's partly out of laziness. <laughs> I can't do either. So I am. <laughs> I am not going to let you get off with it. Okay. With that. All right. The um, this work is so vulnerable, and listening to you. Talk about how you created it over decades. And the growth of the project is so organic and so personal. And I feel that when I read it, 
you're taking me on a journey and and it it is so personal. How does that feel to you then to put this out in the world? Is, is that oh. difficult because it's so vulnerable? I mean, I'm exhausted. Just like <laughs> the book came out and I was immediately exhausted. I don't know oh. why. I mean, partly because I've been working on it for so, so long. And um, that there's a sense of like sort of relief that it's done and that it's out there, but also this wondering, you you know, what were, are there things I left out? It, was there another phase? I mean, um, probably eight years ago, the the manuscript that had some of these poems in it was about to be published. And they gave me the option. They said, do you want to publish this manuscript or another one? And I thought, this one still needs, this one's not ready. And I'm so glad I decided on that because if I had published it then, it just would have been, you know, it stuck right right there and it had it evolved. So, you know, I, wor- I worry like, oh, did I let it evolve enough? <laughs> did I let it cook enough, you know? But, um, yeah, it's emotionally, it's, it's, a, it's an emotion. I did not expect that. I never do. I never expect to be emotionally, you know, affected. Yeah. But your work is so personal. I know. So <laughs> it's really silly. <laughs> Again, I'm not going to go there either. <laughs> But everyone around me is like, of course, of course you feel this way, you know, like, of course, you know, and I'm like, oh, I don't get it. But I should be made of stone. But your book, your work is so beautiful because you're not. That's true. Thank you. So uh, we just have about 30 seconds left. And I know that you've really just released this book to the world. Mm -hmm. What do you hope people take away from it? I mean, partly I just hope that people see that going towards things that that are uncomfortable can can give you courage and strength and can reveal things that that you didn't know were there before um i you know i just would like to also see people engaging more with history on a creative level i learned so much about um this time period because i was creating art from it you know, instead yeah. of just studying it. And I think that's a really cool lesson to to come out of it is that, you know, you can learn while creating. Well, I can't wait to see what comes next. Cool. Lauren Haldeman, her work is Team Photograph. It is a graphic novel that blends personal history with historical research, poetry and illustration. She will be at Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City tonight at 7 p.m. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. 
It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. For 20 years now, the Iowa Center for the Book has been picking an all-Iowa reads book. The goal is to foster a sense of unity through reading, to encourage Iowans statewide to come together to read and talk about a single book and what it means to them. And for the last five years, the all-Iowa reads committee has been picking Three books, one for adults, one for teens, and one for children. Today, we're going to find out what the selections are for 2023. Janae Jackson-Doring is here, Youth Service Coordinator for the State Library of Iowa. Hello, Janae. Hi. Hi, how are you? Great. Thank you so much for being here. Bethany Nelson is also here. She is the Information Services Librarian with the Waverly Public Library and co-chair of the Adult All-Iowa Reads Committee. Hello, Bethany. Hi, Charity. Excited to be here. Well, thank you both so much for being here. And we are going to start with the children's title. But before we do that, uh, Janae, can you tell me a little bit about what this process is like to pick one book for all of Iowa to read? It's an exciting, exciting process. Um, I am working with the committees. So the children's committees and the teen committees, basically, they pick from a selection of different books, 20 books, and then they narrow it down to about five or six. And then they talk about the pros and cons and voting on those books to select one title for both children and teens. It's it's an exciting process. You get to see all the different things that you love about these books. And just having that dialogue has been a really cool, cool thing to witness. And does it get kind of heated? I mean, I can imagine that people get very, very invested in the book that they want. Sure. Um, so I'm new to the perf- I'm new to the youth services uh, uh, consultant position, so I'm I'm fairly new. Um, but no, it has not been heated. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, we are able to have a wonderful dialogue and talk and just share things that we liked, things that we did like, in just an open and conversational way, and that's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, how about how about on the adult committee, Bethany? Does it get you know, heated there? I wouldn't say heated. I would say it gets very passionate. Everyone has their favorite and has their baby and they really, you know, they come to bat for them. But uh, definitely in a respectful way, I'm I'm glad to say. Absolutely. And and we're going to reveal these titles here in a moment. But also, uh, Bethany, I, I mentioned some of the goals of this program. But when a mm-hmm. book gets selected as an all Iowa reads book, tell me what happens. Yeah, so um, we'll announce our selections, and then the State Library does do a uh, kickoff webinar with the authors, which is great to be able to hear from them. Um, And then more to come on setting up individual uh, virtual or in-person visits with your author, depending on what is possible. Um, So, yeah, it's great. You know, hearing, obviously, from the creators is a great way to uh, unpack the book a little more. All right. So uh, for the last five years, the All-Iowa Reads Committee has been picking three books, one for children, one for teens, one for adults. I think it's pretty self-explanatory why uh, the decision was made to expand (laughs) the picks. And it's been great. I I have really enjoyed the young adult picks as well. I'm a a big fan of YA literature. So as a reader, I'm excited that I get two books every year that that I'm really excited to dig into. Um, But let's uh, let's start with the children's title. And Janae, uh, give me an idea of of what age group this book is for. Sure. So this book is for that middle grade. So roughly roughly 11 to about 12, actually 10 to 12, I'd say. Um, 
Do you want me to go ahead and reveal? Yes, I feel like we should have a drum roll or something, but <laughs> yes, go ahead. Tell us, tell us what it is. <laughs> so the children's selection for 2023 is The Golden Hour by Nikki Smith. Um, this is a graphic novel, so it's a comic book format. Um, it is about a story about Manuel, Manuel Soto. He is a young man who is struggling with PTSD. He unfortunately witnessed his teacher being shot by an individual. And ever since that traumatic moment, he's had nightmares. He can't sleep. He's had anxiety. And he's been seeing a therapist. And the therapist recommends to find something that grounds yourself, that gives you an anchor. And so through his camera, through his cell phone camera, and then a camera that his mother has given him, he's been able to take pictures to find himself and calm himself. And he uses that camera to good use with his classmates, Sebastian and Keisha, for a group project. And also, Sebastian lives on this grassy farm. And so Manuel is surrounded by cattle. And he's learning about farm life through Sebastian. And he's asked to take pictures for the local 4-H project for the county fair. And Manuel has been able to channel all that PTSD, all that anxiety into these beautiful, beautiful pictures. And the spread is there's one spread in the graphic novel where Manuel has just woken up from a nightmare because he's spending the night at Sebastian's house to hang out. And he goes outside with his cell phone camera and it's this spread of red and black tint. It's a sunrise and you see all the cattle and he's just astounded by the beauty of this picture of the sunrise and of the cattle and, and of the, the prairie land. And the golden hour, that title is a photography term. It's actually, it actually talks about the red tint that photographers see when they're taking pictures of sunrise and sunsets. Um, so this is a fascinating title. Well, and I haven't seen the book in person, but I mean, we're talking about this character taking photographs, but of course, it's entirely illustrated. And mm -hmm. and so there are realistic illustrations taking place in the classroom that are, you know, not particularly inspiring. They're the kind of thing that we see every day. Mm -hmm. And then these gorgeous, gorgeous illustrations that, that really um, can transport us too. Yes, yes. It's it's just a fascinating book and I think it's I think it's helpful for children, especially middle graders who are, are dealing with maybe gun violence or PTSD or some type of anxiety. It'll help them to find their center, find their focus, find their anchor and through Manuel maybe it can inspire them to do the same. The Golden Hour by Nikki Smith. That is the children's title. So that's for middle grade readers. It is a graphic novel. And Janae, now take us to the young adult yes. title. I am so pleased as punch to announce uh, the young adult title for 2023 is Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley. Um, this title has gotten so much wonderful praise, and deservingly so. Um, this book is about our wonderful character, Donna Fontaine. She's 18. She is wanting to go away to college, but she can't because her relative has gotten sick and her mother is just a very fragile person. Um, her uncle, David, who was a science teacher, died under mysteriously. And the town is kind of like, oh, yeah, he died under 
under these weird circumstances, and they're all spreading rumors. And Dawnus is a very strong woman. She's part of the Ojibwe tribe, and she looks to her ancestors for guidance and inspiration. And something else happens along the way through this book. Her best friend, Lily, is shot by her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Travis, in front of Dante. And, of course, this traumatizes her. So she's thrown from this inst- from all of these things that are happening into an investigation, an FBI investigation. She's asked to basically under- go undercover to find out what is the drug that is making residents in her community die and suffer just like Travis. Um, it is powerful. And I got to tell you, this book has twists and turns. It throws everything in the, the, including the kitchen sink in it. It's so good. I, it's one of those books where you're just like, man, I want to go back into this world. I, you're rooting for Donis the entire way to find out what happened to her uncle, all these secrets that she uncovers. And basically, she's trying to find herself. And on top of that, there's a romance in here. She falls in love with Jamie, the hockey player on the hockey team where that her brother plays on. So you have all these things combined into one powerful, powerful thriller. And it's highly recommended, highly praised. And I hope you guys get a chance to read it. And so I'm so excited that you picked this title because I love this book so much. And I have a teenage daughter. And anytime my teenage daughter brings me a book and says, Mom, I love this so much, you should read it. I absolutely put that on the top of my to-be-read list and I read it. And, And that's exactly what happened. And it is everything that you said. It's it's fascinating. I mean, for someone who is not indigenous, we learn a lot mm-hmm. about um, indigenous community life now yes. and, you know, history as well. She is such a great heroine and Oh, my gosh. I can't even think about how fast I read this book. It's such a page turner, too, because you talk about, you know, there are some really hard things, but also Mm -hmm. it's such a just an addictive read. You want to know what is happening next and you can't put it down. And the cool thing about this about this story is that it's being picked up as a Netflix series. The Obamas are going to produce it. So I, I can't think of another book that that would just. Yeah, I just can't think of another book that would just be just the best. This is one of the best books I've read in a very long time. Um, Donis is just a very strong character. And I think for teens, teens are trying to find their place in the world. They're trying to figure out what to do with their lives. They're trying to figure out relationships and balance out things. And sometimes, yeah, there are secrets. There are hard things. There are hard things that Donis experiences in this book. And it's powerful and it's moving. And just you learn so much about the Ojibwe culture, and you're just engulfed in it. And I hope readers get a sense of what Donis feels and how she has survived through all of this. Well, wonderful, wonderful pick. Very excited about this one. This is the young adult novel, Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bouley. And Bethany, that brings us to the adult pick for this year. What is the book for all Iowa Reads? So the 2023 selection for the adults, the title is How High We Go in the Dark, which I just love as a title. And the author is Sequoia Nagamatsu. Um, And this book, I I just love. It's um, So the the basic premise is in the near future, it kicks off in the year 2030. um, And this might 
you know, sound kind of familiar, a virus uh, is released from melting permafrost and an Arctic plague sweeps the earth. So um, definitely mirroring some of those themes that I know we've all experienced in, in the recent past. What I love about this book is that it's told in a very interesting narrative style. So every chapter is its own short story, um, which I just I love that style from I I know as an adult you get busy. And so it's kind of nice to have a full arc in a chapter. But also as a whole, uh, characters are interconnected. Uh, They weave in and out of each other's stories. So, you know, someone briefly mentioned in one person's chapter might become the main character of a chapter in uh, a little later in the book which um, is really interesting to see the interplay between them. But um, basically, you know, it's just a look at how all these characters and all these individuals are coping with this um, unfortunate reality of of their time. And, you know, occasionally it can be kind of surreal. Um, There's a few chapters. There's one where a genetically engineered pig learns to communicate. So definitely it gets into the surreal and the unexpected. Um, But I think at its core, what I love about it is that it's just an exploration of humanity in the face of crisis. And so how do these people um, in in amongst all their grief and all their pain, how do they still find love and still find hope and joy um, and community? You know, I think it's a lot about the relationships between characters and what makes them human and what makes them um, how, how they react to this this future. So I can imagine maybe three or four different reasons that, that you selected <laughs> this book for this year. But tell yes. me why you think that this is the right book for all Iowans to read right now. Yes. So we had a lot of discussion about this one because it is, you know, it's kind of a hard, it can be a hard read. It can be painful and, and there's a lot of pain in this world. But um, I think it was important to us. I mean, talk about a discussion maker. When we take in our own experience um, since the pandemic began and and to be able to compare it to this sort of more extreme version. And um, I don't know. I just think we thought it was really timely. And we've picked a couple. Uh, I know like Butterfly Effect was we kind of thought we should go for something a little lighter while we're all um, having a rough time. But I thought we, we, as a committee, I think we thought it was time for some reflection and that this book would really lend itself to those sorts of discussions. And these books do not have to have an Iowa connection um, with the author, although you have selected many books by Iowa authors yes. over the years. But uh, Sequoia Nagamatsu does have an Iowa mm-hmm. connection. He's a graduate of Grinnell College, right? Yes, exactly. And he lives in Minneapolis now, so not too far off. So, all right, this one is the adult selection, How High We Go in the Dark, a novel by Sequoia Nagamatsu. And Bethany, what happens next? You've revealed the titles. Um, what What's the next step? Yes, so definitely keep an eye out on the State Library's website. We'll uh, put together that webinar with the authors. And I would encourage everyone listening to go to your local library, your local bookstore, see if they have all three of these amazing titles. And if they don't, uh, please request them. We want to make sure that everyone has access to them and that we can all have these conversations about these great titles together. And you mentioned the the webinar. So some things have changed because of the pandemic. Obviously, everything had to go online in 2020 and then 2021. Are there Mm -hmm. elements of those changes that you're planning to keep just to, to make sure that this is accessible to everyone. 
Yeah, well, I think having that kickoff webinar is great because, like you said, anyone can tune in um, and hear from these authors. We're hoping to have some in-person visits. I know uh, Rachel Mans McKinney from The Butterfly Effect has been making the rounds, so that's awesome. Um, But we're still working on setting those up. So, yeah, I mean, I think the webinar is great. You get to hear from the authors no matter where you are. And was this a book that you were advocating for? Did you win? (laughs) I, you know, I know you know Jillian uh, Rutledge from the Waterloo Public Library. She was a big cheerleader, and I, yes, definitely joined her in that. I think we were its main, uh, main cheerleaders. But you know, I just talk about a book that is, a, you know, shows struggle but shows hope, which I think is something that we all are looking for right now. Well, Bethany Nelson, thank you so much. Thank you. Bethany Nelson is the Information Services Librarian with the Waverly Public Library and co-chair of the Adult All Iowa Reads Committee. Janae Jackson-Doring, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Janae Jackson-Doring, Youth Service Coordinator for the State Library of Iowa. And I'm going to repeat these titles again. The children's title is The Golden Hour by Nikki Smith, a graphic novel. The teen title is Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bouley. And the adult All Iowa Reads title is How High We Go in the Dark, a novel by Sequoia Nagamatsu. This is Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio. I'm Charity Nebbe.